Hey friends, thanks so much for joining us. This is Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. I'm a clinical psychologist, leadership consultant, and a really big fan of you getting to fulfill your life purpose. I want you to get unstuck and unlock your potential relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and vocationally. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Hey everybody, what an incredible opportunity to sit with Dr. Carl psychiatrist and the founder of Emmanuel Approach. He has a lot of years with helping people hear God for themselves at a brain science way, which I so appreciate that we are very magnificently wired and sophisticated. And now we're talking specifically, if you're the person who has kind of struggled to hear God, or even you have weird, funky pictures or sensations, you try to think about God. Um, even in my own life and in working with clients, sometimes I'll say picture Jesus and they'll see the male body parts and, and it freaks people out. Um, and we want to unpack why that is. One, if you have had any kind of odd, weird God, Jesus experience, you're normal you're not broken. There's brain reason why. And he's going to share about anchor memories that actually create the filters that make it really hard to hear and see God when we have any kind of big trauma or small trauma background. So thank you, Dr. Carl, for joining us again. Hey, you're so welcome. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. yeah so uh, I guess last week um, yeah, we talked about simple brain science stuff that can um, dramatically increase your success rate, your, the chance of, it, of, of you being able to perceive Jesus's living, tangible presence as kind of sense of an interaction, a relational interaction. You'll be able to sense communication back and forth. You can ask a question, you'll sense an answer. You'll feel an actual living, inter, a living interaction with Jesus. Simple tools to do that. And <clears throat> my experience, having done this for tens of thousands of hours, is there's a lot of people right out of the box, those simple tools work. Fantastic. Good for them. <laughs> Good for them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's well, it's wonderful that we can <laughs> we can teach lay people to use these tools. We send a mission team to Uganda. We have you know forty five volunteers show up. You know, most of them are twenty three year olds with third grade educations, and they can learn those simple tools: positive memory, strip appreciation, get your relational circuits on. If you got a God memory, that's good. Invite Jesus and then describe what comes to your whatever comes into your awareness. And you know, two thirds of the time, whatever half the time, actually in third world countries they have a lot of faith. It works even better. The fact that a few hours of training with 20-something-year-olds with third-grade educations, and it works half, two-thirds of the time, that's crazy. That's wonderful. That's amazing. But there's also a lot of people, and Dr. Shannon and I actually are both in that category, where it doesn't work so easily so quickly. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the by far the most common, you know, the, the single most common, the second most, I mean, the, the, the top three things that get in the way are variations of memory anchored interference of some kind. Yeah. And give an example that people will all get. We all kind of know. So let's say um, you know, I'm a woman, I'm married, my father was an alcoholic and he would come home drunk. You could smell alcohol in his, smell, smell alcohol in his breath and he would sort of be labile and sometimes violent and scary. So 20 years later, I get married, my husband, you know, maybe he goes out with his friends and has like one beer, never gets drunk, no, uh, no behavior anybody else would ever observe to be a, problem, be a problem. But if I smell alcohol in his breath, my emotional memories will come forward. And even if I have some awareness of it, hopefully, but 
a lot of the pain, a lot of the emotional memories from dad, who really was a scary, toxic alcoholic, will get transferred onto my husband if there's just some kind of a stimuli link. Yeah. And even if he's not doing anything actually observable behavior that's problematic, just the most important man in my life smells like alcohol, the, the red flags go up and the sirens start blaring. Well, the same thing happens with God. You know, if I have a negative experience with my gym teacher, who's kind of the, the authority figure who's in charge of the playground, and he does not do his job to kind of um, make it safe for the little kids, if he sort of ignores the fact that the bullies are kind of cheating all the time and dominating the playground. Um, this is actually a real example from my life. A sne in a sneaky way, and if I were the enemy, I would do this. If a person has painful memories that are stuck, that have not been, they're, they're subtle, small traumas that have not been resolved. If you can get the negative content, content from that memory anchor and find ways to get that to transfer onto the Lord, you're gonna, you, you can produce um, very effective, easy to manufacture barriers between a person's heart and being able to connect with, have a life-giving connection with God. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's not, not a surprise. There'd be certain situations in my life that would kind of, uh, where it would feel like God was not protecting me from the bullies. Mm -hmm. And it would, uh, at least other people would look at it and not see that. But if, if there was enough of a similar, just like, you know, I just smell alcohol on the breath. And even though he's not doing any behaviors that are actually bad, there's, a, there's enough of a memory, there's enough of an association link. Something would trigger that memory. And it would feel true to me. I can't trust God to protect me. God's just going to look the other way. I, he's, he's like my gym teacher. He's not going to take care of me. I have a negative experience with a coach. I have a negative experience with my big brother who, you know, sits on me and, and thinks it's funny and I don't think it's very funny. Um, I have negative experience with my negative experience with my dad, with an employer, with um, there's a hundred places in life you can have negative experiences that get subtly transferred onto the Lord mm -hmm. and they will cause you to have a memory anchored, distorted perception of God's character and heart. Yeah. And to me, um, to me, that is the most important reason to get healing for old trauma. Because I can promise you, it will steadily, uh, if, if you do that as a lifestyle, which is, is my proposal, my, my ex exhortation to people is make that a lifestyle to notice when you have triggers, to notice when something is triggered or you have, a, you have an exaggerated reaction. Mm -hmm. Huh, that must mean there's something in the past getting stirred up and have a place in your life, a prayer partner, a friend where you can do a manual prayer, a therapist you work with, have a place in your life where you can, when you spot those triggers, you can go take care of them and just steadily, you know, as you go through life, just sort of shovel them out. You know, you don't have to go take, go on a retreat and come out perfect. That's not going to happen. But if you have a lifestyle of healing, yeah. I can promise you, as you do that, you will on a regular basis, you'll like, oh, that, that particular pain was affecting, was affecting my perception of God's heart. And since I, since I resolved that specific traumatic memory, this old weird thing that used to feel true about Jesus doesn't feel true anymore. Now it just feels true that, that he's my friend or that he's safe or that he's trustworthy and he's life-giving. <clears throat> and I, as I was telling Dr. Shannon before we started recording, on the website, there's a supplementary chapter for the Big Lion book. It's like 45 pages long about this phenomenon, about how you can have memory-anchored hindrances between you and God. And the, most of the chapter is true story examples mm -hmm. to kind of illustrate the principles. And there, I think there's maybe 23 in, <clears throat> 23 in the chapter, and 21 of them are from my life. <laughs> and the, the cool thing is, as you do that, 
you will feel and see, you will observe your connection with the Lord steadily improve. And as those memory anchored hindrances are identified and resolved, it will be easier to perceive God's presence and connect with God. Your ability to hear accurately will improve. The connection will be stronger and clearer. And every aspect of your connection with the Lord will steadily improve as you get rid of uh, old painful experiences that are, the, are memory anchors for distorted perceptions of God's character and heart. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any way to exaggerate how important that is and how valuable that is. And just it's the way our brains are wired. We all kind of get that with other people. Like I said, you know, the, the alcoholic dad, and then you get transferred to your husband. And that just, that's the way the brain works. And it seems to work the same way with our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. so. so good. It's so good. And I, it's just making me think of how many times we don't realize because we're looking at the person or we're thinking about God at a conscious level. So the prefrontal is focused in the present and we don't realize the unconscious mind is the hard drive that's still creating or auto-populating those filters and life experiences. Yep. And so it's kind of transposing that face. Because I think in our land of mental health, it's easy to make those connections. But a lot of times when you're the person or when it's me, it's really hard to make the connection of dad, alcoholic from the past. And today I'm just irritated and I don't feel safe with you partner. So yes. it's really hard to make that connection if you're not recognizing, oh, I have a whole different system running in the background like a hard drive that is auto-populating all of these filters, beliefs, life experience, classical conditioning, and that's getting projected onto God. And so, yes, I want to hear outsmarting yourself. Yes. So uh, uh, along the lines of what Dr. Shannon was just saying, the, the expanded version of those comments, there's a... I have two books. One's all about the Emmanuel approach. And the other one is sort of the whole worldview of, of implicit memory, how old trauma can, where it comes from and how it can be sneaky and invisible, how implicit, how invisible memory from old trauma can kind of sneak forward quietly and not be recognized. And then how there's a part of your brain that kind of makes sense out of the world, what's happening in front of you, I call the verbal logical explainer. Mm -hmm. And what it usually does is looks at whoever's standing in front of you and tells you a story about why they're causing your emotions that you're experiencing right now. Yes. And most people, I'm so glad you brought that up. Most people do not recognize the connection. Mm -hmm. the, the way it happens, um, this is, a, I'll have a conversation with God about this one. This is a divine design feature. I'd be like, God, why wouldn't you give us a bell? Like, I, I wish he had included an implicit memory bell so that whenever old emotional memory is sort of subtly sneaking forward from an old trauma, that a little bell would ring. And there'd be a little part of your screen, like, you know, on the science fiction movies where you have this little heads up display you know, for the robot or whatever. And there'd be a little icon in the corner that would flash and a little bell would chime, you know, ding, 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 implicit memory, you know, hey, you're being affected by old traumatic, old traumatic memory. So that's like, in my suggestion box is, Lord, why didn't you include that? Exactly. All joking aside, um, my second book is all about that stuff. Trauma and that emotional memory and how it slide forward, slides forward invisibly and how you almost always look at the person in front of you and tell yourself a story about why they're causing whatever emotions are actually coming from an old memory. And if you don't spot that, you put old stuff on the people who are in front of you in the present. Absolutely. And if, if that old stuff is contributing to a conflict, there's no way you're going to resolve that conflict if you're not aware of the fact that half of the trouble, two-thirds of the trouble is coming from the past. Right. And if you're insisting the person in front of you take responsibility for that old stuff, 
and they can intuitively feel that that's not right. They they recognize, hey, I'll own a third, I'll, I'll own a piece of this, but I can't own. You, know, you want to bill me for the whole thing? Mm-hmm. I'll own thirty percent. That's mine. But they're not going to be able to acknowledge to, to validate or or cooperate with a plan where you're insisting that they own and pay for mm-hmm. the seventy two percent that's coming from your dad. Yeah, and. What you have there is an irreconcilable difference. Mm-hmm. If you have a conflict and old implicit memory from trauma is coming forward and affecting it, and you don't recognize that, and you're, you're insisting that your partner or your friend or your boss is owning stuff that's not theirs, that the only way forward that feels okay to you is for them to own it. They can't do that honestly, and you're stuck. Mm-hmm. If you spot that and you recognize, oh my, some of this is coming from the past, you take care of that piece, you come back to the same disagreement, and all of a sudden it moves. Now, and my wife and I have done that experiment. We've been married for 31 years now. We've done that experiment. And this is, this is crazy. You know, the first 10 years of our marriage, we did without these tools. So we had a, we had a collection of you know, maybe 10, 12, 14 arguments, you know, issues where we repeat, yes. And we had gone, and like, by the time you get in 10 years, after the first three minutes, we could both, I could tell you, okay, you're going to say this. I'm going to say this. You're going to say this. We, we, let's just skip the middle, you know, go to the end. I mean, it would be a familiar pathway that, that would be the same every time. And as we both have worked on healing old stuff, one by one, every one of those conflicts that we would have over and over again, every single one of them has been resolved. We would realize, oh, this, uh, these three pieces of that conflict were coming from the past, and we those are now resolved. We'd come back to the same issue we've been going in circles on for 10 years. But like in, in 20 minutes, I am, I kid you not, in 20 minutes, we'd be like, oh, and we'd figure it out together when there wasn't old stuff, old trauma auto populating the fields, subtle implicit memory coming forward invisibly, affecting our discernment on both sides and causing us to loop. We took care of that piece. We come back to the same disagreement and in 20 minutes, we're like, why didn't we do that? What? Isn't this the, isn't this the thing we've been fighting about or going in circles about for 10 years? And then both being in this world, we, we realized, Oh, 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 wait a minute. Wait, that's, and that would make sense to us that maybe that, maybe that sounds unbelievable to some people, No, but but we, we did that for 10 years the old way. And then over the next 20 years, I was just faithfully working on our healing stuff. Every one of those old repeat conflict has resolved. Crazy, unbelievable. That's so inspiring and hope driving because I think a lot of us, whether it's dealing with God or dealing with friends or family or spouse, it's like, dear God, I want to strangle you. Why can we not communicate? And if we would take the onus and personal responsibility to say, why don't I work on my side and work on my triggers and start recognizing if, if there's a theme, because a lot of times uh, we may not have a, a specific trauma, right? So it may be low grade misattunement. It might be apparent that there was just this weird, subtle power dynamic that if you yep. didn't quite do what they wanted, yep. they never threatened you. It was never a punch yep. in the face, but there Sneaky, was subtle, exactly. not so easy to spot. It could be very implied messages that you learned up. I, I better not ever mess up. And so we can make internal vows and judgments. And now yep. we're replicating that. And again, it's auto-populate. Just like yep. your brain knows to not step off tall buildings, it auto-populates that reflex arc to go, oh, 
pullback. But on the other side, it also causes you to go, oh, I will never let someone talk to me like that. I will never, or I will always shut down and play dumb and never, you know, or I'm going to just circle and keep saying the same words because the brain is just doing what it was already told to do, just like encoding a computer. So I love what you're sharing with us and it applies to all of our relationships. Oh yeah. Not just God. I mean, I think the number one reason to do it is because it will improve your relationship with God. It'll also improve your relationship with your spouse, with your friend, with your boss, with your employees, with your children, with your parents, with your siblings. Every relationship you have in the world will be improved by the same thing. So that's actually, that's a lot of good reasons to do this. Especially since we're relational beings. At since our we're relational beings. And that's actually the most important I, I, relationship and community, I think is the most important like single thing in, in our lives on this earth that God wants us to be in the middle of. So that's kind of a big deal kind of a big deal. I, I agree. I agree. And I've worked with people that they'll say, well, it's just me and Jesus. You know, I don't need community. I don't need relationships. Church is messy. People are too drama too much. So what would you say in response to that? Oh, well, so one thing I've already said, I'll say again, is our brains were designed to work best in community. Mm-hmm. And the Jesus thing, I mean, the, the number one thing I do in my whole life is help people connect with Jesus. So the idea of having a living interactive connection with the tangible friendship presence of Jesus, that's the most important thing in the world. Well, actually, this is right in the Bible. First is God, and then second is each other. Mm-hmm. So there's like the, the second commandment. I mean, number one, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Number two is do the same thing with other people. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a straightforward biblical principle. And there's a bunch of ways in which our brains have been designed to work best in community. And the invisible presence of Jesus, actually, the, the, the clearer you're able to do that, that can actually be a more and more real part of your community, which is the coolest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. But especially at the beginning, um, other people with real faces and voices, mm-hmm. your brain actually works better if you actually include other real living people in your community. And it's the way your brain's built. Uh, some other time we can maybe talk more about that, but it's just, it. that's really, that's serious, pretty pretty well documented, compelling, uh, compelling research in a number of different areas where your, your brain just works better. Your whole life works better if you're in community. It's huge in the Bible, second commandment. Uh, your brain is designed that way. And, and one of the examples we, all, we already gave is if you really want to have a good connection with Jesus, actually the best way to do it is to do a prayer with another person. Mm-hmm. I mean, your brain will actually be more able to connect with Jesus if you pray with a prayer partner where you describe out loud the subtle stuff that comes into your awareness. So if you tell me, oh, I really want to have the, the, uh, like the living presence of Jesus be the number one thing in my life. Well, the best way to do that is to include other people mm-hmm. and do prayer in community. No, it's so good. <laughs> um, and I've actually, so far up to this point, I've never heard someone say that that doesn't have an original trauma wound. And yes. so a lot of times we can think that we're connecting with Jesus, but the Bible says, if you hate your brother, you can't say that you love God who you can't see. So there is a principle of our human relationships are paralleling our God relationship and vice versa. So when I hear people say, oh, I don't need to be, you know, in church, or I don't need to be in relationship. I don't need to blah, blah. 
And maybe there's a season, maybe there's something going on, but as a lifestyle, that's usually indicative of, I have a really insecure attachment style. And so there's an illusion that I can be in control of my relationship with God. Now the person would never acknowledge that. We, we don't realize that's our motive is to make sure that it's me and God. And I just follow whatever he tells me to do, but yet you're the recipient deciding what you think he's telling you to do. And then there's murky waters because now you're not loving your brother in the same way that you're saying that you're loving God. So probably something with your attachment style may have been impacted. And that's why it feels so dramatic and overwhelming and extra to be around humans because you might be being triggered. There could be some of that implicit bias, that emotional experience that's starting to filter and magnify how much you perceive in others. And there's always the principle that you could be hooking people into replicating a dynamic at an unconscious level and not realize that you may be standing off kind of, you know, cold, or you may be there, easily offended. Subtle stuff you don't even recognize. Absolutely. I, I agree with everything you just said there, Dr. Shannon. And the, the, the other, the Outsmart Yourself book I mentioned, I think it makes a very compelling story with lots of the, with, with more brain science. It talks a lot about why it's so subtle um, it talks about how implicit memory can be invisible. The, the memory that comes from old trauma, I call implicit memory. It's, you know, the memory researchers talk about explicit memory, which is the, um, like we're all aware of, what did you have for breakfast? Oh, I missed my cup of coffee. I had a couple, I had a little bowl of Cheerios and it feels like you're remembering your own life story from this morning. And that's explicit memory. And it feels like you're remembering something from your own life. Well, there's other forms of memory and there's a number of them um, that are all kind of included in the in a box in a larger category of implicit memory, which just means you don't have that subjective experience of, oh, this is memory. And some examples, oh, right away you'll recognize physical skills. Mm-hmm. You know, you learn to use a typewriter, you learn to walk. Now, how many of you, every time you walk, you don't feel like you're remembering a part of your life story of learning to walk. It's a motor skill you learned when you were, you know, a year and a half old. Mm-hmm. And it's in, it, is it invisibly gets activated and does its job with no conscious awareness of, oh, I'm remembering, you just walk. Same with typing, with tennis, with any kind of physical skill. There's a whole category of memory that's a physical skill memory that does not feel like I'm remembering having Cheerios for breakfast. Well, the short, long story short is the emotional memory that comes from old trauma is in a similar category and it kind of slides forward invisibly and the book has a much more detailed description of stories and examples in brain science that I, if people have trouble with that one, if you're a listener and you're kind of not sure about this one, uh, I would encourage you to, well, Charlotte and I, my wife and I, we apply principles from that book every single day of the year. I mean, 360, maybe 364, there might be one day where we're both sleeping all day because we have the flu or something. Um, but like 364 days a year, we use principles from that book. And it I, um, I think it would help if you're not sure about those principles Dr. Shannon has been talking about. It does a real thorough job of here's the brain science, here's the case studies, here's, a, here's examples, real life examples from, from our, my clinical practice. And it, it, uh, when you put it all together, it's a very, very compelling picture. This really is the way your brain works. And small trauma memories can slide forward quietly. Mm-hmm. And then that part of your brain that explains what's happening right now will tell you a story about the person standing in front of you. And most people can't feel any of that and they buy it and they don't realize that old stuff is affecting them. Yeah. 
And it's like I said, it's impossible to fix a problem if two of the important variables in the equation are not being acknowledged. There's no way you're going to solve that one. Yes, absolutely. And we can drive ourselves crazy and drive away important relationships. In this community, we are all about unlocking you and investing in you having a personal life, your own relationship with yourself, your relationship with others, your relationship in your faith, and in your relationship at work. All of us are bringing our background, our life experience, this whole smorgasbord onto those around us. And if you notice, there's the theme where you're perpetually the victim or the outsider, or you always have to be the leader, you always have to be in control or whatever that theme might be, do your own work. And I'm very open on this channel that I am a clinical psychologist. I do this for other people, but I have my own appointments. There are blind spots. There are defense mechanisms, coping mechanisms that protect me from my stuff. So please, a part of this journey and getting truly unlocked is investing in yourself, investing in good community. Obviously there are unhealthy churches, unhealthy people out there, but you don't have an excuse. There are enough good, healthy people and healthy churches and places to be that you can get invested into. And we want you to get these resources. So Dr. Carl, what are the books that you would recommend and how do people get in contact with you? Yes, so easy thing is our website www.emmanuelapproachalloneword.com. And there's piles of material there. There's little video clips, you know, preview, like a preview from a movie of like live sessions where you can just in five minutes, you can see Jesus heal somebody. I mean, just the good parts. So there's like little video clips, there's free download essays. Mm -hmm. Then from the website, you can, the two books I mentioned, you can find those. And there's also, um, this is just new for the, from the last couple of months, over the last two years, I spent like 2,000 hours, two and a half thousand hours, putting my basic training seminar about the Emmanuel approach is now kind of in a DVD set, somewhat cond- condensed version, but it's, it's essentially the basic training seminar. So for each component, like the ones I mentioned, I explain the theory, and then my wife and I demonstrate it where I, I'm the recipient, she's a facilitator, we, whatever we, I, just, I t- explain the theory, then we demonstrate it live, and then there's work handout, uh, worksheet handouts, exercise handouts, where then you can pair up in twos or threes and practice what we just explained and demonstrated. So that's a fantastic resource that's just available. I mean, people have been asking that for 20 years, and it just, it was a big, long thing to do. And, and so that's also available. You can find that from the website. Um, oh, and the, the, the Outsmarting Yourself book, so I can squeeze this in. There's a, a, those relational circuits I talked about. Most people find you can recognize when they go off and on. Mm-hmm. And most people can learn to recognize when their relational circuits go off much, much easier than recognizing when they're triggered. If you say, are, are you triggered? Are you being affected right now by old trauma? Most people will say, unless it's really extreme, they'll say, no, this is just real. Well, almost 100%. If you're triggered and you don't catch it, and it's invisible. Your relational circuits will also go also go off, and the book explains why. So people who have trouble spotting when they're triggered can almost always learn to recognize when their relational circuits go off. Mm-hmm. And if you read the three chapters and it convinces you, you'll realize, oh, hey, anytime the little warning light, that, that thing I said about, I wish there was a screens up display of a little a real red light that would beep when you're triggered. Well, it's we actually, we're halfway there because it's it's fairly easy 
to recognize when your relational circuits go off. Mm -hmm. And if you if you uh, if you're convinced by my argument, you'll say, hey, the red light, the relational circuit light is flashing until proven otherwise. I think I must be subtly triggered in some way. So throw that one in. And that's the, the second book talks all about that. And that's one of the ones that Charlotte and I use every single day, every single day. Ah, we have to have you so many times back. This is awesome, Dr. Carl. We are instant pals. I so respect you and the work that you're doing to help people. We love you guys and we'll see you for the next episode. Bye.